0: And I was trying to—I was trying to come up with like a construction pun. You know, I've been starting out with like a, a dad joke or something, but I just—I don't know. I'm still working on it because it's a construction pun. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Gary. I thought it was funny. Construction pun. Working on it, anyways. All right. Um, if you'd like to open your Bibles to Habakkuk, we are uh, almost done. Um, And I just want to give you a little picture of the couple weeks ahead. So we have, um, we're going to finish up Habakkuk today. And then next week, I will not be here, but Brett will be here. So Brett is going to teach next week. And I'm sure he has something amazing lined up that is going to blow your minds. Um, So stay tuned for another Brett talk. Um, And then the week after that um, is the last week of Sunday school um, but I will, again, not be here because I will be uh, in Oak Harbor preaching for them. So we thought, okay, what can we do? Um, we figured what we'll do is we'll have all the youth um, and, you know, uh, the adults too, who have gone to Warm Springs, and they'll do a little presentation um, about the things that they saw, the things that they heard, maybe some memories or takeaways that they took from this meeting. Uh, and I didn't tell them that until now, so uh, they are obviously super excited to stand up in front of everybody and tell people about their trip. Um, so in two weeks, June 12th, uh, they'll give a little report on Warm Springs, um, and then that will be it for Sunday school. And then you're done. You don't have to see me up here. You don't have to get up early. That will be great. Um, so we're, we're going to finish Habakkuk today, and then we're done. So praise God for uh, the season that we've got with Habakkuk and with the virtues. Um, can't wait to I can't wait to find out what we're going to cover next next I don't know, term, semester, whatever. Um, so turn your Bibles to Habakkuk, um, and we're going to read the rest of chapter three. So we read verses one through six uh, last week, and we'll read verses seven through twenty uh, this week. So turn to Habakkuk. Hopefully, you remember where it is by now. It's one of those little tiny books; it's hard to find. Um, and we will read verses seven through twenty. So back at three. I saw the tents of Cushion in affliction, and the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers, or your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging rivers, rivers the raging waters, swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place. At the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You thrashed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of many waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. All right, let's let's pray before we get started. Almighty Lord, we thank you for your strength and your power. It is awesome and mighty, the things that you have done. Lord, if we were there to see when you had split the Red Sea, or when you shook the earth at Mount Sinai, or when you drove, uh, destroyed the, the walls of Jericho, we would have trembled too. We thank you that we have all these stories to remind us of how good you are and how powerful you are. And that we know that you go out for the salvation of your people. May you teach us these things, Lord, grow us in our faith, that we may, like Habakkuk, uh, be willing to lose everything that we might gain you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a little review, um, right? We uh we covered the first part of this passage uh last week, so Habakkuk three, one through six. Um, we talked about how this is a hymn. Right, this is similar to the song of Moses after the Exodus, uh, where they he writes this, this song, this hymn, right, for all of Israel to be able to sing it together, to remember, uh, to learn, and to uh, be taught these things. Um, and we talked about especially how much of an attitude change uh, we see in Habakkuk, right? The Habakkuk that we saw in the first couple of chapters, right? What was he? What was he focused on himself? Right? the world uh, and how much it was making him uncomfortable to be around wicked people um, that God was not holding up to his own character right? he wasn't doing his part um, so his attitude was combative right he came to God expressing his concerns right but also like getting ready to 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 duel with God right we talked about how he's standing at his watch post I've referenced that passage a lot of times, because I feel like that encapsulates Habakkuk's attitude, right? I'm going to stand, and I'm going to look for what God will say, and what I will answer when God answers. So it's as if he's, you know, already prepared his his response to what he knows is coming from God. Um, so this attitude is is what we talked about, um, I think, two or three weeks ago, right? He's, he's earthly-minded. He's focused on Himself, his life on this earth, he's focused on um, on worldly things, and the Lord says, "Well, I will answer you." Right, Habakkuk says, "How long?" And God says, "Not long. I have a solution. You're not going to believe it." And Habakkuk doesn't. Right, he doesn't believe that God is going to take away Israel, essentially wipe them out with the Chaldeans. Um, and we know what happens right they get exiled they go into the land of Babylon and there they stay for 70 years before the Lord brings them back so we talked about how how Habakkuk is struggling through this and yet the Lord is saying here's the solution to your earthly mindedness do you guys remember what that solution is what's the the antidote to worldly mindedness And there's a passage in Colossians that we talked about especially. What do you think? Does anyone remember? Well, I don't know if that's because I'm a bad teacher or you guys just don't remember. Um, so I'll give you a hint, right? Oh, Matthew. I found it in my notes, Okay. <laughs> the solution uh, was for Habakkuk to die. Yeah. Which is really, what's the right word? Um, striking, right? That doesn't seem like that should be the solution. And yet what the Lord says is, Habakkuk, here's your problem. You're focused on the world, right? I'm going to tell you the solution. You're not going to like it. But the solution is Israel needs to be wiped out, right? The Babylons are going to come, wipe them all out. Habakkuk, along with the rest of Israel, is going to, is going to die. Or if not die, right, be, be carted off, separated from the promised land, which is as, as good as being cut off from the presence of God, right? Because no longer will they be in the, by the temple. No longer will they be uh, near the presence of the Lord to worship him. They'll be in a foreign land, um, and Habakkuk is wrestling with this. Because who wants to die? No one wants to die. No one wants that to be the solution. Um, but if you remember that passage in Colossians, right? Paul says, set your mind on the things that are above where Christ is. Does anyone remember the, the second clause? Not things of the earth. Not things of the earth. Sean? Your life is in Christ. Before that, there's three words. For you have died. Set your mind on things that are above. Don't be earthly minded. Because you've died. And now you are supposed to be heavenly minded. So that's what the Lord is teaching Habakkuk. Um, So we talked about how this attitude changes. Habakkuk's no longer focused on the world. In the first part of chapter 3. We saw how he's actually changed his attitude. And no longer is he worried about the things of the earth. Now he's worried about God. Now he's worried about the things of God. He's seeing God's works, and it's making him fear God. We talked about how you know fear of the Lord. Maybe that includes right a, a literal emotion of fear, um, but it's also an awe, uh, an understanding of who you are in relation to God. Just feeling your own ins- insignificance compared to how powerful and big God is, and I think that's where. Habakkuk's at. um and so he talked about the Exodus motif. We talked about it, right? How Habakkuk pulls out these different themes that make us think about the Exodus, um, right? He in verse three, he said, "God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran," kind of like location markers of the Exodus, um, and how he talks about plagues, right? Pestilence and plague. Um, he's he's. Making, us, uh, making references to the Exodus as a reminder that even as Israel goes into exile, right, you look back at the Exodus, if God can do that once, surely he can do it again. Even if Israel goes into exile in Babylon, the God who brought them out of slavery once, he can do it again. So there's this profound attitude shift where he's no longer focused on himself, He's no longer saying, God, you can't possibly do this. He's saying, even if the Lord does this, he has a purpose. He has a good plan, and he can still save us. So now as we look at the next few verses, right, 7 through, let's look at 7 through 16, um, or I guess 7 through 15. Um, I want you to remember back to chapter 1. because back in chapter 1, the Lord described the, the armies of Babylon. All right, so let's, let's look back at chapter 1, what the Lord says. He says in verse 6, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march to the breadth of the earth to seize dwelling, not their own. Uh, they're dreaded and fearsome. The horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than evening wolves. Um, they fly like an eagle, swift to devour, come for violence. Um, uh, verse 11, they, then they sweep by like the wind and go on. All these descriptions of the Babylonian army as this powerful, all-consuming, blitzkrieg army that's just going to sweep through the land, devouring it as they go. And now I turn back to chapter 3, verse 8. Was the wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers, your indignation against the sea, when you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation, stripping the sheath from your bow, splitting the earth, um, Verse 12: "You marched through the earth in fury, you thresh the nations in anger. Um, verse 15, "You trampled the sea with your horses." Does it kind of seem like there's a, there's a comparison going on? The armies of Babylon versus the armies of God? Do you see maybe some differences? Some similarities? What do you think? As you compare these two passages, they're not exactly the same. But it's interesting that Habakkuk opens with a big description of the Chaldean army and ends with a description of God as he goes out to battle. So what are the differences? What makes makes God and him going out to war different from the Chaldeans going out to war? They're unrighteous. And God is perfectly righteous. Okay, yeah. God is holy. The Chaldeans are not. What is that? How does that flow into how they go out? Do they go out with different purposes? Absolutely. So what what would be the Chaldean army's purpose? Gain. Okay, yeah. Selfish gain, empire building. Um, chapter two had all these woes, right? All these pronouncements of judgment against those who build empires um, out of mud, right? The word play there. What else? What else is different between the Chaldeans, the Babylon Babylonians, Babylonians um, and God's army?
1: The Babylonians did it out of hatred versus God's chastising
0: the people He loves. Okay, so the Babylonians come out for, um, yeah, they scoff, right? They they laugh at fortresses. They come out for violence. Um, yeah, absolutely. But the Lord right the Lord comes out with wrath and with anger. But how is that different from the Babylonians? G Well verse thirteen, you went out for the salvation of your people. So the Lord's purpose is to draw his people back to him. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Charlie, you have some Ed?
1: Mm-hmm. Three right there. Yeah. These, these two
0: warring empires, the Empire of Heaven and the Empire of Satan. And Christ to be victorious because it is for salvation and not for earthly. Right. Dominion. Yeah. It's very interesting, isn't it, how there's this contrast between two, not just two different armies, right, but almost two different kingdoms two different kings two different ways of uh, of conquest right one is a conquest of of um, of enslavery, slavery um, destruction gathering up hoarding wealth right um, the chaldeans march out to seize dwellings that are not their own um, they build their empire right how do they do it with mud they uh, plunder They destroy, they seize. Um, But the Lord, right, he builds an empire through salvation. He saves people for himself. He frees slaves. He sets free. He does not seize for himself, right, all of his power, all of his might. It's not for himself. That's the radical, that's one of the biggest differences, right, is the Chaldeans, they go out and they march their main purpose is conquest to build their own glory. Um, And not that God doesn't, you know, glorify himself, but his express purpose is he goes out for the salvation of his people, the salvation of his anointed. Um, So it's the two different kingdoms, two different kings, two different uh, armies, right, being compared where Habakkuk, is no longer afraid of the Chaldeans. Do you notice that? Like, that's what he thats what he was afraid of. And partly why he was reacting to the Lord so strongly, like, Lord, you can't do this. You can't kill us through the Chaldeans. They're unholy. They're unrighteous. They're tyrants. They're terrible. But now, instead of being driven by fear of them, right, Habakkuk has glimpsed God's power and glimpsed God's glory and now he's more afraid of God than he is of the Babylonians because now he knows who's stronger. You notice another difference. Um, right, the Babylonians, they, there's this animal imagery. They're like eagles, leopards, horses, etc. Um, but they're never able to actually do anything permanent. Right? They can't change the landscape. They can't destroy mountains, they can't uh, wipe away rivers, they can't destroy the land. And yet, when the Lord comes, right, the mountains saw you and writhed, verse 10. You split the earth with its rivers. The sun and moon stood still in their place. Um, the Lord's power is over all creation. A man in his glory thinks that he is as powerful as God Uh, imagines himself to be able to do all these things, but he can't, but God can. But all this power, right, is being used for the good of his people. And I think that's what Habakkuk is seeing. Um, Habakkuk has realized that all of God's power uh, and all of God's judgments, even if they're hard to understand, are being used for Israel's good. I think that's the profound shift that's happened. Is now he has come to the realization that God is good, <laughs> which is not a complicated <laughs> realization. Uh, but isn't that what we always doubt? Right when when it looks like the wicked are winning, who do we doubt first? God. Well, clearly God is not as good as he says he is because the wicked are winning. Or clearly God is not using everything he has for my good because I'm suffering. My life is terrible, clearly, because God hates me. It's the only solution. But what Habakkuk has realized is no matter what it looks like, even if it looks like the wicked are winning, um, even if it maybe even looks like God is not treating you with love, that his faith in God is... Uh, He believes that the Lord is good more so than he believes in what he sees and what he hears and what he feels. That's faith. That's living by faith and not by sight. Living, knowing the truth about God, believing that, uh, even when it doesn't look like that's what's true. And then there's... You know, there's more, there's lots of little details that we could draw out in this prayer. Um, There's a couple of things that I think are just kind of cool and I want to talk about them. Like, for instance, where have you heard the sun and moon stood still in their place before? Has it ever happened in scripture? Mm Mm-hmm. yeah yeah it did happen before right joshua stood still um i think they didn't they have to hold his arms up or something i don't remember the story that was moses moses. oh that was moses Are oh, you're right okay involved, but... well yes the sun and moon did stand still before it's even gone what's that it's even gone it has it it's right yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Um, yeah, I think the standing still in their places is specifically a reference back because it's Joshua 10 where they, it brings out literally these exact words, right? The sun and moon stood still in their place. Um, Habakkuk's remembering that. Right? He's remembering the Lord's power in the Exodus, right? As Israel was conquering the land. Um, he's remembering Exodus things like the raging waters swept on, right? trampling the sea with your horses, verse 15. Uh, just the, the, the power of the Lord in the Exodus was so profound, right? This, this event, this Exodus event was so profound that Habakkuk is remembering it as, this is who God is. All this power being used to save his people. To bring them uh, to this promised land. And then you have verse 16. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Here's a question. So, if you were to summarize this verse in just a, a you know a few words, how would you summarize it? What would be like a short little statement that summarizes what Habakkuk just said. Michelle? Yeah, there's there's kind of a sense of, okay, okay, God. Maybe a couple other ways we could summarize it would be like, I surrender. That's a pretty amazing statement. And coming from the man that we just spent two chapters talking about, about how much he was you know, uh, in the wrong headspace. And even though he was a faithful Israelite, how he had he'd gotten puffed up in some ways. He was, he, he did not understand what God was doing and he wanted it to make sense. Um, but what he says here essentially is, I don't need to understand. I only need to wait. I don't need it to make sense. I just need to trust God. I don't. I don't need to have control. (laughs) I don't need to make sure that God knows what He's doing. I I just need to surrender. What is what is Rebecca confessing? What is he believing? Like what is what is driving this? What does he realize that has made him come to this point where he he doesn't feel like he needs to understand, John? Yeah. He understands the sovereignty of God now. <laughs> Specifically, right? God knows what He's doing, and I don't need to know that because I'm not God. Right? He's also confessing that he's confessing that God's judgments and actions in His life are scary. Right? His body's trembling. His lips are quivering. His rotten rottenness enters his bones. Legs trembling, um, like it's not because it's now suddenly easy for him to go through this, right? And the same for us, right? We don't usually hit a point where we're like, okay, you know, now it's suddenly easy to go through suffering and God's trials that He puts in our lives. It's still hard, but it's we have a lot more peace when we've surrendered to it. Charlie. Yeah, that's an interesting, those are some interesting verses, aren't they? Yeah, let's read, let's read in verses 17 through 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, there be no herd in the stalls, yet yeah, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. To the choirmaster with stringed instruments. Let me ask you guys a question that I've been asking myself this week. Uh, what do you think you can't live without? And don't say oxygen. I already thought of that one. What what can you not live without? God. God?
1: Absolutely. In him we live and move and have our being. He's the very God of our
0: breath. Yeah. I think you're right. But as much as maybe we want to believe that, I think there's probably a lot of stuff that you can think of in your own life that you really don't want to lose. That you don't think you could live without. My spouse,
2: our vocations, our homes, our comforts. Mm-hmm. The relative peace that we have, health. We make,
0: we make all kinds of idols. Yeah, but some of these are not even. They, they just seem like basic human rights, right? Access to water. Can you live without water? For like three days maybe? (laughs) But you can't live without water for very long. You can't live without food for very long. And yet, Habakkuk 17 is a picture of not having food. What else could we not live without? Young people, could you live without internet? Internet? Gary's like easily. <laughs> He's you. Yeah. You, so, are you saying you're one of the young people, Gary? No,
1: absolutely not. <laughs> but that's what the to think about it. <laughs> I mean,
0: yeah, but like, how do we live? Like, we we are so attached to it, right? What happens when the power goes down for like an hour? We're like. Bored out of her mind. They're like, what do I even do with myself outside? Pfft, it's wet out there. I'm not going outside. You may
2: have to read a
0: book. Ugh, don't even, Gary. You're going to scare him. Um, could you live without a car? That would make life a lot harder, wouldn't it? But could you live without it? Maybe you'd have to get on the bus, but I mean, I know buses are grody, but you could still live, and yet it would make life a lot more difficult. I don't think any of us in this room would give up our car willingly. What about a house? Do you live without a house? Or a job, like Charlie brought up? <laughs> It's different when you willingly give it up, Lori. That's one thing. It's another to to lose it, right? And to not be able to get one. Could we live without our kids? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you were a little too excited to answer that question, John. What What about the obedience of our kids? Could we live without that? What if our kids were just super terrible and unruly and... Disobedient, all the time. Could we live? Maybe <laughs> Masha's smiling because it's been a rough week for Solo. <laughs> um, Speaking
2: of, from experience, I say absolutely.
0: Yeah, we could, but the problem is we don't want to. We don't want to give any of these things up. We don't want to give up our car. Who wants to give up their house? Michelle, do you have some you just
2: told us
0: earlier we had to learn how to die
2: to ourselves. <laughs> Michelle what was like teaching us here.
0: <laughs> no, you're right. I'm I'm not teaching you to I'm not teaching you to hold on to those things. I I'm just commenting on my like this is what I've been thinking about all, all week too. Is what could I not live without? What are the things that I don't want to give up? Right? There's a lot of them. And as a new parent, right, you, I'm learning that I don't have much free time. And it's, it's hard to live without that. It's hard to live without comforts, right? It's hard to live without time to yourself. It's hard to live when you don't have the things that you want. None of us want to give up things that we even think are just basic, Right? What if the supermarkets were empty? How would we live? What if uh, I don't know what you said, but you're smiling. So it's probably something cheeky.
1: So
0: oh, Lori's <laughs> like, I ain't shopping anyways. Huh? I don't want to go to the store. Pfft. Right? Like, what if all the toilet paper ran out? Why did people like suddenly scramble and buy up all the toilet paper there was in the universe when COVID hit? Because they think that they couldn't live without it. And not that any of us want to live without it, but it's like these are the things that we don't even realize we're we're living attached to. That if they suddenly disappear, right, what happens to our emotional and mental state? We go into panic. And I think the panic that hit Habakkuk before was what he's talking about now, right? He's panicked in the earlier chapters because he's realizing that he could lose all the things that he relies on. And they're not even like crazy comforts like a, 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 tele, a, a telephone, man, for some reason, I just got old, um, a cell phone, right? An iPhone, he couldn't live without that. No, he's actually saying like, how am I supposed to live if there's no food? How am I supposed to live if there's no fruit on the vines? If there's no fields producing food, or no flocks in the herd in the the stalls? Like it's it's reasonable, right? The analogy of like our supermarkets being empty. If our supermarkets were empty, if there were no groceries, we'd be saying like, Lord, how how are we supposed to live? Where do we get food? Where do we get water? These are the things that we focus on and that send us into a panic precisely because we're being earthly minded. And we're more worried about what, we'll, what we're going to have for dinner than we are what God is doing. And we're more worried about if we're going to have time for ourselves than about being joyful in the moment that God has given us. Charlie.
2: Mm-hmm. Deb?
0: Yeah, I think, so so Dave's point is, you can't exactly prepare for it. You have to go through it. Um, And I think we're at the end of Habakkuk. One one second, let let me just get the thought. Um, We're at the end of Habakkuk, right? We've seen the beginning, we've seen the end. Um, We've seen the middle, right? At no point did Habakkuk say, like, I really want to believe that this is true. um, I'm just not there yet. Now, Habakkuk is fighting tooth and nail to hold on to his comforts, his security, his safety, um, the things that he thinks he can't live without. It's not until God takes him away or at least shows him the reality, shows him his glory, that Habakkuk reaches the point of saying, okay, I surrender. Um, there are obviously practical things I think we could all do is consider God what's the right way to say it? Um, Seek to value God above everything else. And that's vague, right? But that'll be a little bit different for all of us. But similar things would be just simply praying and meditating on the Lord's word. Um, it's why we're having a lesson series on Habakkuk, right? This is part of how the Lord is, is preparing all of us if this does happen. You know, if we do run into a, a time when um, persecution happens or supermarkets are empty, that the Lord is teaching us ahead of time, even if this does happen, focus on me. And in particular, right, consider that it's the Lord is worth losing all those things I think that's what Habakkuk is saying is that he's okay losing all of that if it means he still has God it's okay if he loses everything because if he has the Lord he has everything he needs Michelle did you have some add? John. I would, I very much agree with
1: Dave. In my own experience,
2: I labored, studied, and studied and studied for years. None of it prepared me for the head trauma. None of it, but helped me through it, is people continuing to hear God's word preached and those reminders, as he said to, to trust, to trust, to trust.
0: Yeah. I think those who have suffered will tell you they they weren't ready for it. They weren't ready to lose those things. Um, and yet, they're also usually the people who rejoice in the Lord the most because they've been through that. So, Michelle? Really, really quick, one thing of I would like.
2: Taking his anxieties and his worries and his anger to God. He's mm-hmm. always going to the right place. And I think we can strive for that. Just take, him
0: to, take it to God. Uh, I think that's a great point. It's a great point, yeah. Even though Habakkuk's mad at God and <laughs> struggling with it, he's still taking it to the Lord. Um, I think a lot of us probably have a tendency to ignore God when we're mad at him. Give him the silent treatment. Um and even in his sin, right, Habakkuk is still modeling a faithfulness that, at least I don't have, right, that in that he's going to God and being honest with God. And even in doing that, right, the Lord is shaping him. Um, yeah. Charlie, do you want to? Sure. Yeah, I think we're always we're always called to be just taking the torch to our idols, um, and hopefully, you know, we do it before God does. <laughs> That's it's, quicker. it's it's quicker. Yeah, it certainly. He is very effective. Um, yeah, I think the the last thing I'll just say is how much Habakkuk has this whole book has pointed to the cross. Right, It was on the cross that Jesus essentially said, "You know, though the fig tree should not blossom and I lose even my very life, I will rejoice in the Lord. And it's his example of giving up, emptying himself of everything, both in becoming a human right, and giving up his divine glory for a time, and being hidden um, and being humiliated on the cross, But at the end of the day, right, why did he do it? Jesus came for the salvation of his people. For the salvation of his anointed. So I hope Habakkuk has pointed you to the cross. And pointed you to the the lessons that the Lord is teaching all of us. um, As we go through the faith journey. And we're not all in the same place, right? The Lord is, is working in all of you. Um. But I hope that you can start to say with Habakkuk, even though I may not understand everything God does in my life, I believe that he's good. Okay, let's pray, and then we'll have a time of fellowship before worship. Almighty God, we thank you for your provision. We thank you that you have blessed us with many good things. Lord, we admit that we cling to them, that we hold on to our comforts and our securities and seek our life from them and our satisfaction from them instead of you. Lord, may you teach us to break down our idols, to submit them all to you, to surrender to you every day and to be willing to lose everything as long as we still have you. Lord, thank you that you have already done that. Thank you, Jesus, for losing everything for us. We praise you and worship you. And all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.